0: Hi guys, my name is Philip Warwick and welcome to my first deal, which ultimately led to millions. The first deal that you do in real estate or in business, no matter what your net worth, usually defines what type of investor you are. It's either the thing that inspired you the most, or it's a bad one and you learn from your mistakes. And I get to interview some of the world's most successful investors, local real estate groups, and entrepreneurs from all over the country so that you can get inspired. So rather you're very advanced or you're brand new at this. So I'm excited to introduce today's guest, Adam Coffey. Adam is a veteran of the US Army, the founder and CEO of Advisory Guru, a multi-million-dollar consulting business that works with a dozen private equity firms and more than 50 founders. Adam's desire now is to help multiple companies at a time rather than just running one. And that has led him to become a successful entrepreneur and uh, consultant. He's also a successful author with his first book, The Private Equity Playbook, and his second book, The Exit Strategy Playbook. And so, without further ado, get ready to learn from one of the best in the business, and let's talk about your first business deal, Adam, which ultimately led to billions. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: Philip, how are you? It is good to be here. Hello to all your listeners out there. I was smiling when you were reading that introduction because I, I was laughing. I, I was thinking back, you know, if I had known that question was coming first, I would have had a prop ready somewhere in my 40,000 iPhone pictures. I have a picture of me with my first seven figure check, you know, so way back, way back when. And um, I, I remember, you know, That's it was awesome. upon a time I used to, you know, like back then they were checks. They weren't necessarily uh, wire deposits and what have you. I'm an old man. I'm dating myself but I, I used to like make copies of the checks and I had like a shoebox with all of my seven, eight, you know, figure nine figure checks. And it, it was, uh, you know, each one of those was kind of like a different milestone in, in my, in my life. So, and they're all special, right? Doesn't matter whether it's the first or the last, the biggest or the smallest, you know, and right. I, I often tell people, you know, the last company I ran when I started with it, it was the smallest company I had ever started with, and it was the shortest period of time I had been a CEO when I sold it, and it was the largest payday of my personal career. So they don't all have to be big companies to yield big checks, and every one of them is special. they're like they're like children. so you know if if i if I were to know i have to just go back it's like you know there's been so many milestones in in my my life i've had a lot of careers within careers a lot of a lot of sub careers and each one of those had different kind of milestones and you know when i was in the army i was soldier of the year in 1984. you know ronald reagan is president and you know i I mean that, that was a special event for me you know as a young guy as a young soldier you know but i had those all along the way in my career there were there were kind of those different different milestones so i know i've been beating around the bush you know what well the the first million dollar check i got um was uh when i sold a piece of a business that i was running and the family office that owned the business at the time rewarded me with my first million dollar you know check and i'm i'm not i'm I'm hiding details on purpose. Sure. It was a private company, and uh, you know the family office keeps stuff close to their vest, but I also once upon a time I have to tell you, Philip, I got paid for not selling a company oh. so you know I, I i it was another family office. it was a situation where they didn't they weren't necessarily ready to exit, but they sent me on my way to 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 exit the business and I literally, you know, had buyers at the table at the price they were looking for and they got cold feet, decided not to sell the business, but decided because I had done my job, they had to pay me and that was another, you know, big check. And that one was for actually not selling a company. So that that's uh, that's a good one.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, when you we sharing the these checks, and I used to do the same thing. I had photos and photocopies of all the checks from the real estate deals and flips that I've done, and that was a, a nice little way of you know keep memorizing a, a trophy, right? Like for each deal that we'd done. And it's interesting. I don't tell this story very much, Adam, but you know, I I've been an entrepreneur all my life, and I tried to go to college. I dropped out of college twice because it was like I'm just bored. I'm going to go to work. And um, you know, I have my dropout, my college dropout forms uh, framed like a diploma. But on the back side of that, I have a copy of my first short sale acceptance letter from a bank where we actually negotiated a short payoff to be able to flip that house. And you know, as a as a, you know, I like to say I barely made it. Well, you're in
1: good company, you know? young man. Because yeah. I'll tell you, if you think about the world's wealthiest people. I think uh, several of them are not college grads either. And as a matter of fact, an old read, but one of my favorite books when I was first starting out and making my way, it was a contemporary book at the time. It was called The Millionaire Next Door. And you know I, I remember you know, that book kind of put out a blueprint and a foundation for me. And one of the things I remember about that book back in those days is that there was no statistical correlation between education and wealth. And And I'm not talking about earning a good living because there is a statistical correlation between being uh, educated, you know a doctor and you know a lawyer or whatever, and earning a good income. But in terms of actually generating wealth, wealth defined as a deca millionaire or higher, um, there was no correlation at all. As a matter of fact, the majority of wealth came from small business owners, people who, who put their blood, sweat and tears into building a business you know across potentially decades, and then monetize that asset. You know, as a, a part of their uh, their their retirement plan, if you will, and that's where the majority of of uh, generational wealth comes from in this country. It's from people who worked for a living, and most of them, you know, were not college grads back in that day.
0: Yeah, yeah, unemployable people with the <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love that. I love that about. What you share, hey,
1: Entrepreneurs about. sometimes we don't conform to yeah. societal, you know, norms, and and, and I, you know, we, we're a country that was born in rabble rousers, and so we hard to put us in a box sometimes. And, and so I, I think you know, people with ideas and uh, put a lot of sweat equity into businesses, you know, as you're doing with your real estate empire. You know, th- th- those are the real success
0: stories in America. Yeah. So what what sh- what motivated you to get into business for yourself?
1: You know, I had, you know, I, I had a bunch of different crossroads in my career. And I, I think when you look back in life, um, you know, it, it, at how you developed, I mean, I've had so many different careers. I was a soldier. I was an engineer. I was a business guy in the Fortune 500 world. And then I left, you know, the comfort of GE. During the the Jack Welsh era, you know, it's a great time to learn how to run a business. I'm a rising executive. I'm doing well, learning a lot from the world's most admired company. This is before tech, you know, Jack Welsh, probably the most legendary CEO that uh, that was alive, you know, at the time, and he was at the helm. And and, and so every time I I was faced with some type of a crossroader decision, I remember as an engineer, I was a young engineer out of the military. And I was an engineer at GE and I'm hitting the glass ceiling. I'm like bumping up against it. I'm like in my early 20s, I'm making over 100 grand a year and I'm really good at what I do. And I'm thinking, boy, if I want to, I really want to get wealthy, I, I, I can't do it being an engineer working for GE. I got to, I got to do something different. And I saw an opportunity to cross over from engineering into business, but that was scary because I was a really, really good engineer and I'm untested as a business guy. And GE gave me that uh, ability to do that, and and I was educated at GE Crotonville, which was the world's most admired businesses, most world's most admired MBA program. That wasn't an MBA, where you had the leaders of the the GE businesses teaching you how, how to run a global business. And and so I, I took a chance, took a leap of faith, and said, "Well, I can always fall back and be a good engineer." That got me started in in business. Then I had a crossroads stay at GE or leave GE to go be a a CEO for the first time. And, you know, I had mentors within GE. And, you know, I'll I'll never forget the the sage words of advice. There's a guy out there named Michael Martin, former Cleveland Browns football player, Um, you know, total total influence, positive influence on, on my life, just a real motivational guy. And I was talking to him. He had moved on; was not my boss at the time. But I was talking to him about a job opportunity to go be president for the first time. And he he said, "Adam, once a president, always a president. Go ahead and leave GE. You know, you won't regret it." And so I I left GE, and that took me off on a 21-year career to be a CEO of multiple companies. But then, if you're referring to the most recent time where I I decided, "Hey, I'm going to hang up my CEO cleats." I've been doing this for 21 years and I was building big businesses for private equity and, you know, I had done 58 acquisitions, billions of dollars in exits, and I was really bored. I was 21 years of doing the same thing. I, I was getting bored and I'm like, I need a new challenge. And I loved teaching. I had been teaching at UCLA, you know, helping some of the professors there in the executive MBA program. And, you know, I was loving teaching, wasn't making a dime. Making a ton of money as a CEO wasn't having fun anymore, and I think how can I switch this paradigm around? I'm 58 years old, you know, money's not the object anymore, and it's like, how, how can I have fun? How can I give back? And I've, I've always been big on giving back, and you know, I decided, you know, the statistics in America, there's 33 million small businesses in America defined as 500 employees or less. 99.9 percent of all businesses in America fit in that category. I had spent a career working in the 0.1%. And I decided it's time to go to work and bring my skill set to bear in the 999 where I can work with multiple companies at a time. I can use the knowledge and wisdom that I gained over the years. I didn't create this. I was taught this. I learned through the School of Hard Knocks how to do all this. But I'm like, boy, I wish somebody would have given me this advice when I was starting out in my, you know, early career as an entrepreneur or manager. And and so, you know, my I've kind of dedicated call it the next 10 years of my life to giving back and making an impact and a difference to as many companies as I can in what I'm going to call the lower middle market, the sub lower middle market, small businesses, people who are are earning their stripes for the first time, striving to create their own Mini empires. And, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm having a lot of fun doing that. And, uh, you know, that's how I, I first met you. You're building a real estate empire. And, you know, boy, what a lot of fun it's been to meet all of these people and hopefully make a positive impact on their
0: careers and their lives. Oh Well, you've already made a positive impact on mine. That's for sure. From the first time, you know, I met you at Mega, when you spoke there for us and got, I got an autographed copy of the Exit Strategy Playbook from you at that event, and then, you know, just like reading that book and the private, uh, the private equity playbook, the Exit Strategy, like everything has just been exponential growth for me and learning. You know, and I'm, and I'm secret, secret, this
1: you didn't know this, Philip, but and and I I may have told everybody in the room, certainly at different times, but and M- the first Empire Builder where we had you know, 300 plus people from, I think it was 27 countries around the globe, something like that. You all helped me write book three, which is now, you know, being being written as we speak. It is uh, called Empire Builder. It's coming out later this fall. But I i perfected my first two books really via lecture and and making sure that I kind of had my messaging dialed in and and so the the two pot you know the, the two day empire builder the first session we did in Dallas that was you know book three and
0: uh, and so look for that one coming out this fall definitely I'll definitely be watching out for it and you know I've I've got a copy of the other two and enjoyed them both on Audible and reading them so uh, I love it and I've been reading through the uh, you know the, the slides from that presentation as well which has been great just to, as a refresher. And so it's exciting and I'm happy to be part of it and be, you know, watching you build it and and go from, go from there and being in the group of the many that are going to have a positive impact and effect from, from your work. And so I think, you know, based on everything that I've learned from you, any entrepreneur, rather they're thinking about exiting or thinking about private equity or not, can learn so much, so much valuable information from you and the teachings in your book. So it's exciting to have you on and to be able to share.
1: Well thank you bless you you know my, and and that is my goal and objective and i think the, the 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 unique part of it is that this really isn't rocket science it's not that there's not a secret decoder ring to finding success you know there are people who i've i've made every mistake someone can make you know uh, uh, throughout my career but i survived and 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 learned and and so as a result of that after decades of doing it i can now share kind of the lessons learned in in the formats that I, I'm doing this, and it's digestible and it's easy to understand and you know, I think you participated in this one we did recently that was called the perfect the perfect hundred thousand dollar business Absolutely. and that's yeah. the other thing is that you, you know to build a billion dollar business you, you first have to build the perfect hundred thousand dollar business the perfect million dollar business and then you got something that can scale and scaling is so much easier than creating something that that works and you know, I, i've i've can't tell you how many times entrepreneurs have told me, you know, oh, I'll figure out how to make money once I get bigger. And it's like, oh, well, boy, that's, that, that, that's a disaster. That's a train wreck waiting to happen. They just don't know it yet. It's like, if you, if you don't make money small, you're not going to make money big. What you are going to waste is time and effort and sweat equity. And unfortunately, we have a finite length to our careers. And so I, I've been teaching people, if you can get it right small, big is just a foregone conclusion. The real magic is making a business work small. You get it done right at that level. Scaling to any size you're looking for is just a, a mathematical equation. And there's different tools that come into play at different sizes. But it all starts with getting it right, You know, getting it dialed in small. That's why I love the effort that I'm doing. As I'm working with businesses, I can help people perfect their model now. Right. So that as they build empires down the road, they'll be much more successful with them.
0: That's, a, that's great. That's a great concept. So we all think big, like we all want to go big. So how do you slow an entrepreneur down and be like, hey, let's perfect it small. I know you want to go big and you have the ambition. And if he can do it or if you can do it, I can do it. That's what we think. Well, but it's, we...
1: it's There's this thing called patience. And yeah. sometimes... We have to get old to find it, you know. And uh, I have a wood shop and a bunch of woodworking equipment. And you know, I look at what I crank out now, and I, I think to myself, "Man, you know, it's that's what age, wisdom, and patience teaches: is taking the right steps in order, taking the right amount of time." You know, if you'd have dialed me back into that wood shop, you know, thirty years ago. I, I, I'm like, you know, okay, I want to get it done tomorrow. You know, well, I don't I don't care. It's supposed to cure overnight. It's like, I'm going to give it 30 minutes, put a hairdryer on it, and then I'm going to be back to work, you know, on that finish, you know, or whatever. And it's like, you know, you learn patience. And so I, I think an entrepreneur needs to have many different skill sets. We want to be aggressive because we want to grow our business. But if we don't have it right yet, you know, talk to a chef. If you don't have the ingredients mixed just right, you don't start baking. You know you, you need to get things cut, the right measures mixed together at the appropriate time. It's like a, a world-class meal is developed you know by the chef, you know in the kitchen. and, and the same thing holds true with, with businesses. You know there are some people you just can't slow down. And you're gonna get, you know, uh, I'll call it the requisite probably outcome that you think you're gonna get when you're not being patient. So I think oftentimes for for, for business people, it's like, listen, you want to? Do you want to build a, a ten million dollar business? You know, yes, yes. Do you want to build a hundred million dollar business? You know, of course. Well, let's build a good million dollar business first. You know, so slow down, time out, take a breath. You know, let's uh, let's deconstruct what you've got built so far because we need to do some adjusting here and think of it this way you know um, if you, you know, i was giving some advice to some people who were doing a buy and build which is putting a bunch of companies together and we were talking about when's the right time to put a good ERP system in in place and they're thinking well after we put eight companies together you know then we'll have size and maybe that's the time and i'm like are you kidding me you only have one company today put it in place right now now i've got a platform i can integrate people onto and eight companies from now, I'm going to be so thankful I'm done with a scalable platform rather than, okay, now I've got eight companies. Now I have to put in place a, a platform and boy, that conversion can be painful. So you know, there's things we need to do to find success. And I usually find if we, if we dial in success small, then success large is just a, a
0: foregone conclusion. And you know, that leads perfectly into my next question and say, once we dial it in small, we've got the success small. Now we're ready to scale. But the the thought always comes up financing. How do we fund scaling? Where, do, where does the money come from, right? They say it takes money to make money.
1: Well, there is some truth to that. But I'll tell you that if you've dialed it in small, you're throwing off cash. You're generating cash you'll be able to self-fund some of your own growth. It also depends on what type of business you have. You're building a real estate empire. Real estate empires require a lot of capital by nature. And and everybody I know that's a successful real estate investor, their, their real superpower is they're a people person who's very good at raising capital. And yes, they know how to deploy it and they know what to do with it once they get it. But the superpower of a real estate empire is not knowing what to do with the capital it's finding enough capital in in order to to fund more and more projects because real estate is a very capital intensive business. Service businesses, though, are not very capital intensive, and oftentimes, um, you know, I, I in in some of my seminars and in my shows, you know, I, I I talked about the theoretical landscape maintenance company. Everybody can wrap their heads around. You know, you look outside your window, and there are. Are people out there in trucks with lawnmowers cutting people's grass every day? You know, it's easy thing to easy concept to grasp. And I talk about unit level economics. And in that respect, unit level economics is a crew. It's one truck, two, two, two people, commercial lawnmower, you know, and some you know, weed whacker, blower, some rakes and some shovels. And it's like, that's my unit level economics. And if I build the unit level economics right. I'm throwing off significant cash at the unit level. So you know once I hit uh, a, a million dollars in revenue seven crews later, you know I, I all of a sudden have, am generating hundreds of thousands of dollars in positive cash flow. So I have capital to grow slowly. If I want to accelerate growth, then I'm going to need capital from others, you know or outside. And so there's a multitude of different ways that that a person can can do that. You know, certainly I I tell everyone you should start with your local banking relationships. If you are in a large bank, uh, be it national or a large regional, they're going to have a commercial bank inside them and they exist to loan money to businesses. Um, There's the Small Business Administration, there's the SBIC program whereby people lend to small business and you can do loans that are measured in the millions of dollars to find capital for expansion. Certainly you can also rely on other means. You know, I'll give you an example. My, my brother and I bought an insurance agency once upon a time, it cost 4 million to buy. Um, we, we got the seller to take a, a $1 million note at 10% interest. We borrowed 2 million from a family office at 10% interest. And then we found three friends and uh, and brought them in as equity partners give us some money so we made equity a million we borrowed two from a family office we borrowed one from the founder who was selling us the business the business was 4 million in revenue it was cash flow and 1.7 million in positive cash flow at 4 million a lot of capital it paid off all of that debt in the first four years we owned it for 15 years and we were then distributing all of the the profit once the debt was paid off to ourselves we ran the business for you know 10 years, 11 years after the, the debt was paid off, and then we sold it for $12 million. And although these numbers aren't big, if I think of it in terms of multiple of invested capital, it was the single best, highest return on investment that I made my entire career so far. Because the amount of cash we distributed over that 15 years, and the amount we sold it for against the original million dollars in capital, you're talking a a 12 times multiple of invested capital just on the exit to the entrance 12 million versus 1 million of equity but we distributed millions every year for a, a 11 year period after the debt was paid you add all that in it was like a 40 times multiple of invested capital it was like the 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 home run of my career uh, you know I'm sorry it wasn't a bigger company but hey you know there's a lot of ways to finance your dreams i think the the easiest solution though is first you have to have a good business if you know you have a good business unit level economics are right you're a real estate empire you know it's that first rental house it's the first you know your airbnb rental house it's the first rental property you know as you learn how to do whatever it is that you're doing out there now that, that you're good at it raising capital although it seems daunting to me is actually the easier part of the equation knowing what to do with it, proving to people that you know what to do with it and can generate the kinds of returns that they're looking for, for that capital, whether it's debt, you know, or or equity, whatever the, the case may be. A lot of real estate projects are project by project. And so there's equity and debt components inside each, each building or, you know, each apartment complex or commercial building, whatever it is. So I, I think learning how to do it small demonstrates that expertise. And then you and I have had some conversations offline just about the importance of being seen by others as an expert in your field so that when you're seeking capital, they're not like, well, who is this person and what rock did they crawl off from under? You know, No, this is a person with a track record. This is a person who's a thought leader in an industry. This is a person I can see myself backing. And raising capital becomes easier as we get better at understanding how to run a, an effective business
0: yeah i love it and i like you you know i've got 20 years experience been full-time for 20 years more experience than that doing real estate and everything i do 98 percent of my time is focused on doing the business and running the business and you touched on creative finance you know owner financing seller financing and all these creative strategies have been hands down my favorite way of purchasing properties over the years and using you know, the leverage of the, the property itself as well. So it's it's always good. It increases the return on investment when we do use debt as opposed to just paying all cash, right, so.
1: Sure, and you know what, I, I mean, I, I, I always, this is the way I, I get people to get comfortable with debt because some people are just not comfortable with the concept of having a bunch of debt. And I, and I, I talk about, you know, kind of the proverbial, if I'm buying a company, you know, ideally I'm going to use hundred percent debt, but if I can't, you know, let's say I'm using 50% debt and 50% leverage, which is very common in buying companies today. And, you know, people, people are like, uh, you know, they talk about, oh, highly levered, you know, it's, it's got too much debt. And I think to myself, boy, if you just went out and bought a house, a house that you're going to live in and you put down 50%, most people in this country, at least would feel really good about having 50% equity in the house that they own. They would feel really good about you know only only having fifty percent leverage on a, on a property. And I think, boy, then why aren't we comfortable with that in business? And you know I, I think there's a, a time and a place for debt and for leverage. If I have a hundred percent equity in something, then I also have a hundred percent risk if something bad happens to that single investment. And I think a mistake a lot of entrepreneurs will make is they they never think bad things can happen. Bad things happen every day. You know, we have pandemics, we have wars, we have planes that fly into buildings, we have stock market crashes, we have bubbles that burst, recessions. I mean, there is stuff going on just with a higher frequency level. It seems volatility is is not only here to stay, but the world's more volatile, and the frequency between big events seems to be shorter and shorter. So, I I think there is a place for debt. You know, if sure. as an example, if you have a hundred percent leverage or a hundred percent equity in something and something happens to that asset, you've lost 100% of the equity. If I have 50% debt and 50% equity, and I have 50% of my equity somewhere else being invested in other places, well, if something bad happens to the asset on the right, I still have 50% of my equity in the asset on the left. So I think there's a time and place for debt. People need to be comfortable as long as they're not over levered, right. and you know, they need to be comfortable. But I think there's a time and place for debt. It allows us to spread our risk and to make sure that we have a diversified portfolio of assets, whether it be our company or real
0: estate or or whatever, yeah, that's a great that's great advice. I often joke around like, hey, be Dave Ramsey with your personal debt and your personal life, but not with your business debt and your real estate, you know so yes, so yeah, that's that's awesome and And if you just pencil it, if you just do the math on and I did actually this week, I was doing the math on you know, fully paid for. Return on investment compared to if I just leverage it to 70, 75%, which are what the investment loans usually allow, the return on investment based on is just so much better based on your equity or your down payment as opposed to 100 <laughs> percent paid for.
1: Absolutely. So, yeah. And you'll have diversified risk, more assets. And then when those assets appreciate and you monetize them you right. know, at an at an exit, you 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 just you have more you've got more more capital there's more there's more value creation that way that's why private equity you know the world's most sophisticated asset class private equity 5 trillion in assets under management you know it's like how do they make money they they make money by buying you know multiple companies putting them together selling them for a high price they use leverage and you know as a result of that they 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 generate returns that that double the market typically and That's why money keeps flowing in. It's like we can learn lessons from from a sophisticated asset class like that. And, you know, you're doing that in your own empire and you're seeing the same benefits that they do.
0: That's right. That's right. So I've got just a couple more questions for you, Adam. I know you've got some other things to get to, but what advice would you give somebody who's just getting started? And I know we talked about like, hey, get the unit economics level down, you know, the hundred thousand dollar business down. But what advice would you give somebody just just getting started?
1: So I I, th- I think, you know, so great advice, you know, uh, be voracious in your knowledge or your appetite for learning. Um, and, and so read a lot, um, you know, connect with others, you know, peer groups, you know, work with a coach, work with, you know, if you have desire um, and, and maybe not experience starting out, you can leverage other people's experience to to bring them to bear for your benefit. So be hungry to learn. I often tell people too, if if they're really focused on wanting to start a particular business, um, if you've never worked in that field or in that type of business before, then you've seen the TV show Undercover CEO Well, go be an undercover employee, go to work for, you know, if you want to build a landscape maintenance empire, go work for one, you know, see if you like the business, you know, you're going to start a restaurant. If you ever worked in a restaurant, why don't you go work for one? Why don't you get paid by somebody else? To learn the basics of a business or an industry, observe what they do, see what they do that's successful that you can emulate, and and take a look at where they suck and they're making mistakes. So you don't make those mistakes. And you know, it's like take advantage of an opportunity to learn in an environment where nothing's at risk. You're being paid to right. learn, and then you know, it's, uh, you know, learn and formulate your your own opinions about an industry by getting experience in it. And if you're uh, you know, if you're if you're starting to build an empire and you're finding some low level success, you know, find yourself you know, surrounded by people who have found success on a much bigger scale. You don't ever want to be the smartest person in the room. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You know, so as you're starting out, you're building a business, you know, get get advice, join peer groups. You know and seek knowledge from others who are more successful than you who can help you formulate the blueprint for success later down the road and i i, I think we all need mentors we all need, okay. need mentorship in our lives if we can find a good nucleus of people these aren't people that are in competition with you you know generally speaking people people will give you good solid sound advice based on their opinions and and their own experiences and what you're hoping to do there is Cut the learning curve down. Cut down the number of mistakes you're going to make because we're all going to make them. But if I can minimize them by learning from others, by getting experience in an industry before I launch, boy, wouldn't that be great? So in your example, you know, you, you're uh, you're in the real estate you know game, buying properties and, and leasing or renting them. It's like boy, go work for a property management company, learn about the mechanics of it. Go go work for a property maintenance company, learn about you know, re- rehabbing properties or learn about, you know, what's a good one versus a bad one. It's like, go be a property manager for somebody, you know, one of the big REITs or, or property management companies and, you know, and learn. And yeah. then as you're learning, you're taking copious notes, you're writing your business plan. And when it's time for you to come out of the, the shadows and start your own empire, you're doing it from a position of strength, knowledge, and learning rather yeah. than, I think I can do this and be successful you should have a better feeling that i know i can do this i've seen it i've been there and i've learned from others
0: yeah i often say work to learn not to earn right and you're going to earn exactly. something but it's more important to you know to learn from somebody that's that's ahead of you and that brings me to my final question and one one thing i do remember when i first got got started i was doing you know a deal here a deal there maybe two or three deals a year but it wasn't until I got started getting coaching and getting mentorship and going to more trainings and seminars, I went from doing just a few deals a year to doing a few deals per month, right? And I have ever since. And here I am 20 years in, I'm still reaching up to people that are smarter than me, like yourself, getting coaching, getting mentors, and still learning and learning everything that I can, constantly reading books and studying and things like that. But looking back, what would you have done differently in in your first, in your first deal in your career over the years?
1: you know I, I i tell people you know i i write my books you know they're i give away all the the royalties to charity i use it to fund my philanthropic work um but i i really wish someone would have given me my books 30 years ago and you know i i don't think it was as common back then you know to to have peer groups and no. to seek mentorship and and so I I would say, you know, if I had it to do over again, I'd have been even more thirsty for knowledge and more focused on learning from other successful people that I could emulate and learn those lessons from to try to cut down on my own learning curve. And so I, I grew up in an era where there was a lot of trial and error. There was a lot of mistakes made and you got through them. And if you survived, it was because you had more hits than you had strikeouts and you managed You know, you managed to build a reputation and you kind of gutted your way through adversity. Today's world, you don't have to gut your way through anything with AI, with (laughs) with all of the peer group networks, with all of the learning opportunities that exist in life. I think that success is easier to find today than it was decades ago because of all of the the knowledge base and the fact that the world's gotten smaller. And there's more opportunities. I mean, if I go back to early, you know, my early business career, there were no cell phones. There were no desktop computers. There was no email. There was no social media. There was no internet other than you know, an academic thing or a government tool. It's like, boy, we were literally in the stone ages. Today, the world is much smaller. Technology joins us all at the hips. We can learn instantly. And if not from each other, we can learn from AI. And, and so I think there is just so much wealth of knowledge that we just have to get our nose out of our cell phones long enough so that we can focus on on, on building, call it the plan. You know, I, I think too many entrepreneurs start with no destination in mind. I think it's really critical today that you have to have a really good understanding of, of what success looks like in your own life. How do you define success? And and what does the destination look like 10 years out so that I can start charting a course? And I talk about this in, in my latest book, you know, and I, I talked about it in the seminar. It's like, if I told you, if we're all in Los Angeles and I told you get in a car and drive, without a destination in mind, you, you would spin your wheels and you'd drive a few miles, you'd go in circles, you wouldn't get anywhere. And that's most people in life. They don't have a destination in mind and they don't know what success looks like. And so they don't know. If they're there or not, they're just wandering around aimlessly. If I told you in in L.A., get in a car and drive to New York, all of a sudden you've got a destination. You know it's a multi-day trip. You know that someone's going to have to feed the cats, the dog, get the mail you know i'm going to have to pick waypoints and stop at a hotel i have a place to sleep i'm going to eat i need to pee it's going to take me 3 4 days to get there it's like you can plan and i think if we're early in our careers or just starting out even if we're all late in our career but we're starting a new entrepreneurial adventure we need to think real carefully about what does success look like before we start and what's the destination i've got in mind you know that's going to serve as my magnetic north that's going to guide me In the early days of building my empire. And once I've established that, I can now move with purpose and I can put everything against a litmus test of is this helping me get where I want to be in 10 years or am I wasting my time? So I I think it's you know, today's world, there's so much data and information out there. It's like we got to learn how to take advantage of all of that. We got to build a network of people and peers and mentors, and then we have to have our own plan. And when we put all of that in place success should be a, a much easier proposition to find.
0: Wow, such amazing advice. Not I'm so looking forward to Empire Builder your next book and you know I, I, I believe that's a perfect way of vending it. That's a wrap for the show today, right? So I love it. I, I really appreciate you being on here and uh you know I'll share some information below so people can follow you and and reach out to you, get copies of your books and things like that and I believe you're going to be on a call that we're both going to be on here in a couple hours here um in a little i bit. i
1: am yeah. I, I am it's funny i gotta i gotta read jt's feed so i can see what i'm talking about before i get there right
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'll be great yeah, hey, it'll be great yeah
1: hey philip thank you thank you for having me on i know we tried this a couple times but we could finally connect and get it done so i uh, yeah, think we can talk for, for having hours
0: you. we'll have to do it again after the next book so thanks for being here god bless you thanks make it a great day you too All right. take care All now good. And that's a wrap for the show here today, guys. If you'd like to hear my story on how I did my first deal and extra footage from other people that I interviewed, there'll be a link in the comments below. So just click the link on the comment as well. In addition, if you'd like me to fund your deal, or if you have some deals or you still have some capital and you'd like to fund some of my deals, or if you'd like to be able to come to my office and check out what I do every single day, the link will be down below as well. But that's it for today. Also, if you know anyone that you'd love to introduce me to people that would be a great fit for me to interview on this podcast, that's always welcome as well. But in the meantime, do me a huge favor, like and share this podcast on Spotify or Apple. It really helps out a lot, especially giving me a review. And we really appreciate everyone here. We'll see you next time on your first real estate deal on the way to millions. All right, guys, that's Philip and that's a wrap. Until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side.